Welcome to Roadhouse Minute, the podcast where we review the best bad movie of all time, Roadhouse, one minute at a time, and where we always try to be nice until it's time not to be nice. I'm Roger. I'm Marcy. And we're we're really excited. Marcy, we're really excited to have you back. Our really exciting. Of, our legions of fans. <laughs> We've missed you for a couple of weeks. You've been yeah. going off doing, I don't know, more important things, I guess. Um, I don't know what I've been doing now. I'm glad to have you back. You know, just like, just like. Sam, I'm glad to have you here at the end of all things um, for yeah. these last six minutes. I'm really excited. And we're Roger, really ex- Are you going to get emotional tonight? No. Okay. Um, because we are at the end. We're not at the end. We've got three more minutes to go after this week. We have one more week. Uh, and I, I probably will get a little bit emotional next week. Because <laughs> yeah. um, there's only one person who's been on every single minute of this podcast, and it's this guy. Yeah. Um, to, so for this week, though, we're really excited uh, to have uh, two uh, great friends and Roadhouse aficionados. And for the fourth and I guess last time in this podcast, um, people, uh, friends of ours from work. So we have uh, Thomas Fisher. How are you doing, Thomas? I'm doing great. Oh, good. And Cooper Poles. How are you doing, Cooper? Very excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, good. We're excited. So, like I said, this is the fourth time. So, you know, we've had uh, we've had Roger Crane was our first uh, guest from from the school where we all work. Uh, followed up shortly uh, on the heels of that by Doran Blake. Oh. Uh, and then uh, last uh, before this, but certainly not least, uh, Chris Ostenick. Uh, and now you two fine folks. So, uh, before we get to this minute, why don't the two of you tell us? how you ended up on this podcast or not how I, I mean, obviously I asked you, but like <laughs> the two of you have a prior connection to roadhouse. So can you just tell us that real quick before we get started? Well, we sure. both independently love roadhouse. Okay. But, <laughs> but there's, a, there's a story. There I feel is. like one of you should tell the story. Cooper, do you, do you, do you mind if sure. I, I can go first? So first, first off, I'm a little offended that we're only the, we're the fourth people to be asked on the show. <laughs> I kind of thought we would be higher up on that list. Cooper, I saved the best for last. Thank you. Thank there you. we go. <laughs> the story, as I recall, is that uh, in my apartment, um, which is tastefully decorated from rug to ceiling, uh, there is a large, maybe two foot by one foot framed poster of the movie Roadhouse. And uh, I was in my apartment one night on duty, or maybe somebody was on duty, and uh, Thomas Fisher walked in and saw the poster and thought, what a great and tasteful and awesome piece of apartment decor. <laughs> is and it, Cooper, I just want to ask, is it, is, it, is it this poster? It is that exact poster. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Wow. I, I don't have that yet. Someone has been holding out for me for like Christmases and birthdays and stuff. But in case you're looking for something to get for me um, this June, there's something. Wink, wink, nudge, so, nudge. So where's fact, my. I, Go I was going to say that, that I was on duty and I came into Cooper's apartment because I needed to ask him something. He had just moved in. I think you were newly appointed uh, to your position. It's not just that there was a large poster of Roadhouse, which I saw and thought, oh, yeah we can be friends. But 
Cooper was also wearing this very tasteful, like, evening robe, like, and, and, and reading a book under his desk lamp, it looked like he was about to introduce Masterpiece Theater, oh. only it was going to be Roadhouse. I hope it was a pink bathrobe like Brad No, Wesley it was wears. it was like a, like a jade green or something like oh. that. Uh, that's still pretty good. Well, where's my right decorum? Now. This is minute 109 of Roadhouse. I can't believe I said just said those words out loud. This is minute 109. This minute starts with Red collecting shotguns, uh, and it ends with Tinker sadly admitting to his taxidermic disgrace. Um, I, I have many questions. So, so I mean, basically, when I said we're going to end the movie, by the time we get to the end of this week, we are going to kind of finish the all of the action, and we're just going to have credits, uh, which doesn't mean we won't have fun stuff to do, Marcy, next week. But uh, mm. the action is ending in this minute, and I so I I just have some questions. Uh, from from this minute in particular. So here's my first question to folks. As I said, like Red is basically going around collecting up a pile of shotguns, and then he just sort of like tootles off the stage very quickly. Where do we imagine these shotguns end up? The upper deck of the toilet. <laughs> like, like in The Godfather? That, that was a my, really big tank. I'm, in, yeah. I'm envisioning he's going in there, he's got them in a bundle in his arms, and he's kind of like awkwardly shifting them from both arms to one arm so that he can get the top off of the toilet. And then he kind of just like dumps them all in <laughs> muzzle first. I kind of had an imagination that one of these um, goats in the background here was actually a storage unit where you could just like open it up and it would hinge off the back and it would be <laughs> hollow in the inside and you'd just be able to store your guns within the goat. I have a related suggestion, Marcy, because you weren't here last week when I think Chris was here, which was our first time to get a look at the giraffe. You all know that Brad Wesley has a full-size stuffed giraffe in his trophy room, right? He seems like the kind of guy who would. He does. Like, you can see it. Maybe the legs of the giraffe are perfectly designed to hold shotguns. Hmm. Maybe he just, and and it's hinged, and he just kind of jams one in each leg. I think we can all agree that Brad Wesley does not seem to be the kind of guy to you know, follow proper gun storage rule. Like, this is not a man with a gun safe. This no. is a man with a gun unsafe. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the size of his guns, he could basically fit them in a shoebox. Brad Wesley oh, only likes yes. tiny, tiny guns. For his merce. All right, well, anyway, so so these shotguns, they disappear off stage, which which leads me to my next, I think the most delightful thing about this minute, Marcy, and I hope you noticed this too. Did you notice Tinker disposing of his handgun? Yes, I he, did. He does what I'd like to, what I'd like to call for you, the white Christmas treatment. Yes. Which is where you just take a prop that you don't need anymore and just toss it out, <laughs> toss out it of off frame, stage. just like yep. in white Christmas. Yep. I saw that. It's fantastic. I like how dazed Tinker looks about the whole situation. Like he's just been smushed under a a polar bear. That's fantastic. But really his acting is top notch in this, this minute he's stumbling. He's just beside himself looking at Brad Wesley as in a pool of blood. He does a great job. I was confused when he tosses the gun away is the premise of the scene that the police officers do not recognize that he had a gun moments before because part of what what confused me about it is as he throws it off and then walks towards the group the police officers actually come from behind him so there's no way that he's throwing that gun away and nobody none of the none of the officers see it 
Oh, <laughs> well, <laughs> yes. Let's, I just let's, saw that. Let's be fair. Based on the fact that the police show up in minute 109 of Roadhouse, this is not exactly the most crack law enforcement division in the Midwest. Um, fair. Yeah. One of them does have a really great mustache, though, in the background. Oh, yeah. Um, so, speaking role, but great mustache. I have heard, I think this was from Chuck Paterni, who was one of the stunt guys um, who I got to hear when I when I did that watch along. I think he said that these two guys who play uh, not the not the sheriff, but yeah. the the two two guys in uniform were just like members of the crew. <laughs> they look like members of the crew, like like just these are these are not professional actors. They just stand there looking kind of like uh, like rejected members of chips. The police sirens in this minute are really loud too. Like, so here's my here's my next question: How do the police know that it's time to come? Well, they're at minute one oh nine, so if they don't show up. Then, <laughs> Thank you for breaking the fourth wall, Cooper. <laughs> I, no, like, I was also unclear who called the police. Let's see, that's it, part of my question. I mean, you might think they're oh they're they're responding to to gunfire, except they they brad wesley has blown up two buildings in the previous few minutes without attracting any attention so a bunch of gunfire doesn't seem like it's going to be out of the ordinary for for these folks I mean, it, did doc call the police maybe do you think it's possible that our our would-be assassins called the police ahead of time it's just like you know called the police like hey i think somebody just got shot and then they then they blow brad wesley all to hell Considering that part of their plan is to collect shotguns and then throw them away, that seems like a little too much forethought and planning to me. I think, that, I think they have a plan. I think this is all very carefully orchestrated. Really? You don't think yeah, that, well, that last I mean, minute where they— Well, part of the thing—so so y'all weren't on the show last week, but it's very clear in the last minute that the whole purpose of this— like, is this is Frank Tillman's dastardly scheme to take over crime in Jasper. <laughs> You, I, I believe that 100%. When you watch him in the last minute, he's like, he's the most, he has the most evil looking face in this entire movie. And every time, like every time that man smiles, like he, the when, when, oh. when he looks pleased with himself and then when, when something goes wrong and, and it, and it fades, this is the origin story for the villain of not the actual Roadhouse 2, but the Roadhouse 2 that we deserved. That's right. Marcy has a lot of thoughts about creepy Frank Tillman smiles. Can I show you my favorite part of this minute? I have it. <laughs> Not that. Whoop, see those eyes? <laughs> Did you see those eyes? Who is he looking at off camera? It, I, it's like um, he looks at the police officer, maybe. That would I think, no, see, I'm going to. The back gonna... of the police officer's head, he like looks from. He looks from Brad Wesley to the, oh, I think I messed it up. Sorry. I'm going to push back on you a little bit there, Mercy. I think that Frank Tillman is shooting eyes at his fellow co-conspirators. And the message is very clear there. Like, y'all better back me up or else uh, you're going to get it when I become the new crime <laughs> boss next. in Jasper. That's oh, right. I, I don't think he even has to threaten them. He's playing... Uh, uh, he's playing on another level from the car dealer and the uh, the the uh, hardware store owner. They think that they're all in this together. He knows that meet the new boss, same as the old boss. They just don't realize that it's coming yet. That's all those furtive glances. That's he he he's the only one who sees I, as well as the perceptive viewer, such as Marcy and I. 
Pete Marcy, <laughs> I thought I thought when you were talking about this particular shot, did it was I the only one that thought that this shot makes it look like we've almost framed framed dead Brad Wesley? Yeah, that's it's great. like we put him in a picture frame. It's I like, do. I do have a little question about what's on the corner of that couch there. That's the gun. Oh, it looks like he might have spit out his kidney or something. What? <laughs> Marcy. That Marcy, chunk of stuff. Marcy, in, in what anatomical universe do you live gun? in? In what anatomical... No, no, no. Well, hold on, Marcy. We're not going to go past <laughs> this line. In what anatomical universe do you imagine you can eject a kidney out of your mouth? <laughs> Maybe it got shot out like a chunk. I don't... <laughs> I'm not sure. Defense mechanism like a vulture. We're gonna have to have a conversation about how shotguns work. See the but bullets go in. You're telling me that's a mini gun. Yeah. So that's that it's is Brad, so small. That's Brad Wesley's backup gun. It's called oh. a it's called a Derringer, um, which we got into in the last minute. So I don't need to give okay. you Derringer minute all over that's again. Fine. It's basic. Derringer is actually synonym for a tiny gun. Oh, I thought his gun was silver and was kicked away over the cushions of the, over the long cushions no, of the couch. That's Brad Wesley's gun, first. No, that's Brad Wesley's first gun. Oh, this is gun number. I thought I had found, this is, yeah, I thought I had found this the is first his, continuity error in Rome. No, no, no. It's not, it's not a continuity error. So Brad Wesley has a backup piece, just like Jimmy. He taught Jimmy everything he knows. He's got a backup piece in his shoe or in his sock, and that's what he pulls out, and that's when he, that's when he gets master blasted. Okay. Oh gosh! What else? Um, I think I think the sheriff has got a delightful pink shirt. I think that's a pretty confident thing for a guy to do in the eighties. Sure. Um, a huge pocket protector full of stuff there. That's exciting. Everybody in this movie has strong pocket protector game. <laughs> um, so I have a question, or not a question, but just sort of a comment. So about the denials, because this is this is the minute where we get sort of this. Uh, uh, alibi round of alibis, uh, and the so the sequence. So at first it's Emmett, then it's Stroudemire, then it's Red, then of all people it's Tinker. No alibi from Frank Tillman, which I think again, if you needed any more evidence that in fact he is the bad guy uh, or the future bad guy in Jasper, like that sequence tells you everything that you need to know. The Palpatine of Jasper, Missouri. <laughs> <laughs> Cooper, what did you think about the the cute little shot where Tinker looks up and he sees that like weird stuffed monkey? I actually really appreciated the the change in tone of the music. Oh, there, thank you. Where it's yeah. where it you know it's I can't even actually remember if it's playing any music. No, it point. is. And then it switches to Tinker, and it's like kind of this weird, hokey like poor Tinker music that happens, mm-hmm. and I feel like it really sets the tone for the ridiculous shot of the monkeys, which did they buy that as a prop knowing they were going to use it? Or did they buy a collection of stuffed animals and think we've got to use this thing? So I don't know the answer to that question. And I want to make sure we come back to the music. You may never know. Cooper, I think you're the first person other than me to actually mention score in this entire podcast. So already you're, your your rating as a podcast guest has gone up several notches with me. I don't know whether they bought this particular piece because you obviously need it to sell this joke. Um, my understanding is that all the other taxidermy that you saw came with the place when they booked it. This is somebody's this is somebody's real house. This is not a staged scene. Who 
what individual would decorate a house? Well, because and, and if, if so, <laughs> are they so, worried about diseases coming off those pelts? I someone mean, who's really into hunting. So I mean, if you look at those walls behind it, there are dozens and dozens of photos of somebody with a dead animal. Yeah, and that somebody is the person who owns this house. You know, the place that we have actually in real life locally seen this much taxidermy is that Action Wildlife place. Taxidermy. And, yeah, you could, you too probably. Oh, I remember. Without having kids, there's probably no reason why you would want to go in there. Other there's than no reason to go in anyway. It's terrible. Yeah, it's not um, so good. It's that place on the way down yeah. to Torrington. Oh no, yeah. I know. My my spouse is really excited about going to Action Wildlife. Okay, yeah, I want to well, go. All right. Well, you're really you selling do, it. If you do get a chance to go, you have to go into the huge warehouse because in there it's like floor to ceiling taxidermy and in my memory it's got to spend 10 years at least it was like all kind of like curated into little scenes i and think so, they have a i think they have a mounted stuffed bear so if you wanted to reenact this scene from roadhouse you probably could yeah, yeah. Um, crime. so cooper I, I i agree with you 100 percent. i love the score in this minute it's kind of so what i have in my notes here that the score it's got kind of this weird melancholy twang to it and it also sounds kind of like a western it's like 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 this is what they would play at the end of an episode of the dukes of hazard well i think it it plays off this idea of tinker is just like he's a character that doesn't fit with the rest of the movie in my mind he's like (laughs) i mean it seems like there's a very clear dichotomy through the whole movie between here are the good guys here are the bad guys and he's the one character who's like very clearly on the bad guy side but is suffers no ill consequences apparently and and you kind of as the audience feel for him you're you're like you're on his side and uh i don't know in some ways this is a movie about tinker (laughs) that's fantastic i've never heard somebody say it that way but okay i I agree 100 percent that he does not fit in like he is occupying a different narrative dimensional space from the rest of the tinker can hear the score the rest (laughs) of the the, they can't but just before our minute when the bear is about to fall on him he does this like humana 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 kind of bud abbott (laughs) move or or dom deloise i I forget which right but and i i i I rewound it and just watched it a couple of times because (laughs) it's a deliberate choice and in a ridiculous movie, nothing else is really ridiculous that way. And yes. this is a movie where a man just sent a monster truck through a uh, used car lot to punish his enemies in the most outrageous fashion possible. But this is ridiculous in a totally different way. It's definitely absurd. So so here's a question for the panel. What what is since since we've decided that this is Tinker's movie now, what is what happens to Tinker after, like, what, what, is, what is the next month of Tinker's life like? So I'll just throw out a couple of options, but you can pick a, you can, you can go off on your own if you want to. Does he join Frank Tillman's new crime syndicate? Does he become a bouncer at the Double Deuce? Does he start his own bait and tackle store? Like, wh- what does Tinker do in the next several weeks? I think it's, I think it's very dark. I think it's dark. <laughs> I think his I think his life collapses around him, and and we don't need to get into specifics, given that this is a PG thirteen podcast. But I don't think it goes well for Tinker after this. So you're forecasting a lot of meth. 
Uh, yeah, I, I, I foresee <laughs> I foresee substance abuse problems in Tinker's future. What about you, Thomas? Uh, so Tinker has the the garden of, of of branching paths, right? And and here's the fork in the road. He's a born henchman. The man was born to hench, and a new <laughs> boss has appeared. The likely path he goes and joins Tillman, and his life continues exactly as it was. You know, performing the same role, and the alternative is he opens a vape shop. <laughs> oh, oh! See, I think that he, you know, he has this moment where he looks at those monkeys, and I feel like that sticks with him, and he's haunted by this choice to go along and say that yes, we didn't see anything, and I think he needs to just channel that into some like whittling or something. <laughs> Where he's just like making, making like miniature monkey statues or something like that, what? And, and trying to sell them at craft fairs. He's got to get like back to his roots, back to some sort of nature. This, Marcy, this goes back to a previous episode where you claimed that Tinker collected crystal figurines. Yes, that got smashed yes. in a form of punishment, and then he you said, said that then you said that he constructed figures out of straw, like something from Children of the Corn. He's a man that likes small crafts. And small items around him. I could see that. Could yeah, actually... yeah. yeah. Uh, I'm I'm being swayed to the you know, like traveling arts and crafts fair tinker future. Wow. Yeah, I just I think he lacks the the strength of character to overcome this like cognitive dissonance that he's got in his head. I think I think that would be like the ideal outcome. I think he's crushed under the weight. Of his, <laughs> like of his just like the bear. Yeah, oh, yes, actually. It was the all a metaphor. It was crushed, all and now he's spiritually crushed. <laughs> and you know, it wouldn't be a tragedy if that other path weren't open to him. It's yes. the fact that the, the arts and crafts fair vape shop is open to him and he can't take it. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Fan fiction. Experience. So readers get to work right away on the treatment for Roadhouse 3, colon, The Revenge of Tinker. <laughs> Have we talked about Ken McElroy? Sorry? Ken McElroy. The person who played... Who is that? The sheriff? No. Ken McElroy is... Oh, I know who you're talking about. Sometimes offered as the, the inspiration for this scene. We have so talked who, about him on a couple of previous minutes, but go ahead. Give us... It's uh, been a okay, while. So he, obviously, it's been a while because I even forgot. So give us give us a, a few tidbits about uh, he's an all-around terrible person, does terrible things to people, and whenever they testify against him, he sits outside their house, threatens to kill their children, burns their house down. He is shot eventually. Uh, the, the sheriff in town suggests, oh, everyone should just form a neighborhood watch, and then the sheriff leaves. <laughs> so a real lack of enforcement, much like we see in, 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 in the roadhouse town. And he's eventually shot in the middle of town with 46 witnesses and no one reports seeing who shot him oh. uh, so that, that that is offers sort of the inspiration for the the final moment of oh i didn't see anything where <laughs> yeah i remember that that's a good story now this this bit brought to you by wikipedia <laughs> do you do you think the killing of brad wesley would have all been at all been improved if um doc got to shoot him as well because no, she's a healer in the shooting script yeah. for Roadhouse, she's actually quite the gun nut. Yeah. We didn't get to see those scenes. Either they filmed them and cut them, or they never filmed them in the first place. But she uh, she enjoys having a pistol in her hand. Didn't... So to speak. Didn't they say that um, she and Brad Wesley had dated, and then she left town, and then he went crazy? Yeah. Yes. 
Do we know that these aren't her guns? The shotguns? All of these guns. He's a gun nut. Maybe he's been keeping them as a memento. Oh. Oh, all maybe. of this, all of this violence, all of these instruments of destruction—it's—it's it's all just ways of him trying to hold on to the past. Mm-hmm. And the the car that he drives. We had someone in our previous minute when he was going on his lazy Sunday drive. I think at the time we were suggesting that that car was like the property of his long deceased wife, and so he just keeps it and drives it for sentimental value. I have to say that the Sunday drive is my favorite scene in the entire movie. Oh, no, wow. better, no better way of establishing that this man is a villain and exactly the kind of villain that he is. Yeah, that's right. See, Marcy, you can tell we're getting to the end of the movie because I'm actually getting nostalgic about the podcast. Yeah, I can. I'll bring you some tissues if you need it. I'm going to be okay. Okay. Well, so for our Monday guest segment, we like to ask our guests if they can sort of remember back to their early experiences with Roadhouse. So so for each one of you separately. So Cooper, do you remember what it was like the first time or the first couple of times you saw Roadhouse? What was that experience like for you? Yeah, this was actually my first Patrick Swayze movie. Um, I saw it before I saw Dirty Dancing. And in, in some ways, it was the movie that started my appreciation for Patrick Swayze. I, I had really only known him... I remember watching the old SNL skit with him and Chris Farley, and I was aware of him from that. But this was the first like actual movie that I saw, and I was uh, I was I was probably a teenager. I can't remember exactly how old I was. I I was watching it, and uh, it's funny at the time I didn't think of it as a bad movie. I remember thinking this movie is awesome, and I want to see more of this kind of movie. And uh, it I is awesome. To do it ever since. What about you, Thomas? Uh, so I don't remember when I first saw it, but my younger brother and I both love Roadhouse because of the Brad Wesley villain character. We love how over the top he is. We The, the Sunday drive scene is something that we will often reference. It, <laughs> it, if we're talking about someone like being particularly villainous in, you know, like that is a kind of, bad way of existing that the the sunday drive scene has become as a kind of like a shorthand for us and i i just love how much the movie leans into all of the genre conventions and executes them well it's one of the movies that i point to because i i watch a lot of like schlocky movies i don't watch a lot of art house movies nothing against art house movies that's great it's just not really my taste roadhouse is one of the movies that i'll kind of point to and say it's executing the elements and of of, of this genre really really well if you can appreciate the constraints that it's operating in then you can see how it's playing with them and it has a sense of humor and uh, but it's not just a uh, simple camp um, so I, I have always loved it, but the, the real attraction has been uh, my brother and I bonding over our mutual hatred of over Brad Wesley. Brad Wesley. <laughs> before I, so before I forget, Cooper, it's okay, Cooper. We're not in class anymore. You don't have to raise your hand. What were you going to say? I was going to say I, it also I, as I've been listening and thinking it it. I've remembered that my actual first, first encounter with this movie was there is a reoccurring joke in the TV show Family Guy. Yes. Where Brian, or not Brian, where Peter buys a copy of the DVD and becomes obsessed with the movie and tries to solve all of his problems through kicking. And it comes up in, in some later episodes as well. And I remember that as a kid 
watching that and being like, what the heck is this movie? And <laughs> that was my first experience with Roadhouse. Cooper, I should tell you before I forget, there's a, there's a book that I think is out now. Um, it certainly will be out by the time this episode airs by a guy named Neil Fisher. I think it's called Being Patrick Swayze. Okay. Um, and it's sort of, I guess it's, I guess it's a anthology retrospective about his acting career and everything. So I don't have a copy yet. I'm in touch with him on Twitter and he'll probably be on this podcast at some point. Uh, and he offered to send me a copy of the book, which I don't have yet. But uh, if, uh, if you're really into Patrick Swayze, uh, I think that probably has to be essential, essential reading for you. $16 hardcover on amazon.com. And that, that really is a book that should grace every coffee table. <laughs> that could be your summer read. There you go. <laughs> All right. Anybody have anything else? Well, if we're reminiscing, I, I have to, I have to say, I also really like one that he was a philosophy major. That's great. Mm. Um, which is what I teach here. Um, and his dispute resolution method, um, I just, I, I, I'm a sucker for a hero that at least starts out with nonviolent um, persuasion, even if it doesn't <laughs> terribly destructive. Yeah. Be nice until it's time not to be nice. Or time, not time to rip somebody's throat out with your bare hands. There you go. But if I, if I can, if you, if you could indulge me for a second, I was thinking about a contrast between Dalton and any in, in, in Westerns, like John Wayne character, where the John Wayne character, he doesn't want to get involved. He's sort of the reluctant. But if you rouse him, he can respond with overwhelming violence. Dalton is involved from the beginning, but is deliberately choosing nonviolent methods, ways of diverting violence, reducing violence. And he sees violence as a kind of failure. So the scene where he convinces the person, yeah, we're going to go outside and fight. Hmm. And that's just a ruse. But then as soon as the guy is outside, he can just turn around. No worries about, oh, I'm backing away from a fight or anything like that. The goal is always to resolve the conflict with a minimal amount of violence rather than I'm staying and being isolated until I'm drawn in. And then my only tool is violence. And you know, we see his conflicted relationship with his ability to enact violence uh, in the final minutes of the film. Like he's not really comfortable with how good he is at being violent. Mm. So that's, uh, this is a, yeah. Anyway, I, I, I really liked that. And I wanted to put in my, my, my pitch for that being another good making feature of this film. And they call it a bad movie. They don't know it, what they're missing. It's not a bad movie. It's a good, bad movie. It's actually a pretty good movie. I actually I agree 100% with what you said, Thomas, about how it's it's really good at what it does, which I think is one of the reasons why it's you know got enduring popularity to this day. Thank you once again for listening to another episode of Roadhouse Minute. Please, if you can, rate and review us on your favorite podcatching app. Come and join us on Facebook at The New Double Deuce. We're also on Twitter and Instagram at, at @rhminute, And you can email us at daltonsaysbenice at gmail.com. So remember, until next time, be nice. Bye now. Bye. <laughs>